Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Chris Arnold, the lead developer behind Synthetherapy. Thanks for joining. Yeah, no problem. Glad to, glad to be here. I'm very glad that you're here today because the game story seems extremely fascinating to me uh, personally, and I think others will enjoy it. But before we get into the game, one thing that we always do on these shows is we like to get to know the people behind the games first. So Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into game creation. So I got into game development towards the end of, of my stay at college. I kind of had one foot in education for, for English and then the other foot in game development because I was always sort of interested in game stories. There was a period of my life where my the one the number one thing that I really wanted to do was to work at Bioware because at the time they had a team of writers and I just thought that was the most amazing thing. And so few <laughs> game studios really did that back then. Right. But, um, it was difficult to sort of get my foot at the door at those studios when you don't have any games to, you know, to your name. You have to kind of go out there and prove that you can make games by making games. So that's sort of what started uh, the company that I have, which is Crown Damon Studios. It's a studio that I made with a couple friends of mine, and we've been making a variety of little projects over the years ever since. Very cool. What, um, just out of curiosity, you know, you said you were kind of teeter-tottering between uh, a career in in like the major of English versus this more game design. What kind of pushed you over the edge to say, like, I want to pursue the game design field? I think part of it uh, currently, and I'm still kind of teetering back and forth just because I do think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the fields of like edutainment and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. yeah. especially ever since the pandemic hit. And that was actually kind of what led me to because um, I've been working on Synthetherapy on the side as sort of like a little passion project of mine for about two years when the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, I was actually in the process of becoming a certified educator in my state. Wow. Um, and the pandemic sort of complicated those plans. It made it difficult for me to get the final certification exams that I needed. And I didn't know what form classes were going to be coming back in, when they were going to be coming back. I had no idea. Right. So I had this project in front of me and a, a publisher, our publisher, uh, Vicarious, came forward and they were interested. So I figured, well, maybe this is the push I need to kind of get it out there, get it finished up and have some more financing for it to do some nicer things with it than I could have done just as a hobbyist developer on my own. So mm -hmm. I still think that 
I might end up just sort of hopping between the two just because the idea of using games as an educational platform, I think, it's a field that is only going to, it was already bracing to become pretty big even before the pandemic hit, but now when there's an increasing need for study materials sort of outside the classroom and definitely like supplementary materials that could go alongside the classroom as life starts to return to normal and children go back to class, I do think having materials that could find sort of non-traditional ways of engaging the interest of students is going to become increasingly more important. So I'm still kind of keeping my feet in both worlds, as it were. But right. uh, that was... The pandemic was sort of the thing that sort of tipped me over to trying to make sure this project in particular got finished. Right. Yeah, that that is actually pretty interesting because I'm in the field of, in a way, not more uh, of formalized education when you think of like, you know, students and, and universities and things like that. But I work mm -hmm. for a software company that specifically I, I do a lot of their digital learning and create those assets and things to take an approach of how do you teach someone something without just the basic, like, here's a text document, you know, read it and figure yeah, it out. Yeah, the understanding right? of how people learn things is uh, is extremely, it's not as easy as people think it is. There's an entire logical underpinning to everything that we're processing. And getting to understand that is very fascinating, but it is also, yeah, it takes some time to really figure out how to apply that in a way that people can understand. Right. And I think it's it's also interesting because, you know, when you think of uh, games and that edutainment, you, you coined it, there's a lot of people that get it wrong or do it in a way that feels very stale. And I think that's kind of why there's, a, in some cases, a negative connotation to it. But in a lot of ways, games like Sin Therapy are very much on that same, you know, like that fine line between what is that edutainment and what is a natural video game because it is teaching you different you know the, these type of disorders and and how people deal with them and how people in in a medical field can approach them in a way like there is that element to it and there's always going to be you know whether it is something as basic from a video game of like a mechanical learning there's something that they have to teach you right mm -hmm. and taking that approach is always going to make it a little bit easier for the audience or the player to to feel more involved in what they're learning or what they're experiencing, right? Absolutely. And I feel like another big thing that edutainment sort of lacks usually is the same thing that a lot of traditional um, education sort of lacks, which is a context for that information where the, where the, the student or the, the person who's engaged with the material can understand why this is important, right? Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of times you're hearing all of this information about like the geology of the earth or something like that. And the average person or most people would probably have no interest in it because they could see no way to apply it. But mental health, of course, is something that affects everybody in mm -hmm. a whole variety of different ways. It affects people we know and care about. It affects all of us. It affects the way we look at our roles in society, especially. And that in turn sort of looks like or looks at um, how we structure uh, jobs and, you know, just our, our general place in society, I guess. So right. there's that immediate context, that understanding that seeing sort of how a therapy session works and understanding some of the 
the thought processes that go behind planning that therapy session, it serves uh, two purposes uh, in making in making this game. Part of it is to sort of teach, like this is how therapy works. This is sort of the therapy profession. But mm -hmm. a bigger part of it, and part of the what I'm trying to get across in the game is these are also the current limitations. This is the these are the problems that uh, certain therapy setups sort of have, because part of the big game mechanic of it is that it is sort of a visual novel game where you know you have all these choices in your therapy sessions with the AI and you can go through those conversations but you can't pick all of those conversation topics you can only pick a certain amount mm -hmm. and each conversation that you pick is going to have certain repercussions and change your loyalties with certain characters which is one of the major sort of problems with a lot of therapy sessions is that they are restricted to the hour that you have with the therapist every week. And there's always so much to talk about and never enough time to talk about all of it. So yeah. it gets you in that mindset from the perspective of somebody who has to actually deal with that problem themselves. Because this is something that therapists have to figure out every single session is, okay, these are the things I have to cover. I have to make sure I get through all of these, but I also want to make sure I have time for the patient to talk about things that are important to them. So trying to find that balance mm. is sort of the crux of the therapy session. And it's something that requires a lot of sort of skill to do. You have to be conscious of what's going on, but also flexible enough that you don't have the patient feel like they're not being engaged properly. And students are kind of the same thing. It's you have to make sure that there's sort of that flexibility. You stick to what's in your study plan, but you also allow some flexibility so that if somebody asks a very interesting question that other people are interested in hearing the answer to, they can sort of go down that rabbit hole and explore it for themselves. So so even though I don't really have like a therapy background, I kind of understand some of the difficulties that come with sort of trying to plot out a therapy session because it's in many ways trying to plot out a class, trying to plot out a lesson plan, because yes, there's medical stuff going on there, but you are trying to impart um, sort of life skills. You're trying to impart insight into uh, somebody's past or somebody's behavior. So right. from that perspective, I could really, fr really from a personal level, sort of understand the frustrations of the, the therapist character that I was writing, just mm -hmm. trying to imagine like, how do you squeeze all of this into an hour block of time and still try and satisfy everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody who has their expectations for how therapy is supposed to go. Right, right. And I, I love topics like this in general and, and just the the idea of it, that struggle of it that, that people will obviously experience. What makes me uh, also interested about this in general is just I have a background in psychology. So anytime I see these type of topics, I love seeing them, especially in games, because it's often something that's underrepresented. Um, but with the fact that it's underrepresented, what it kind of brings is a need for or a necessity for being pretty, pretty real to to the nature of these subjects, especially when things like mental uh, awareness, mental health, just disorders in general, it's a pretty, you know, beefy topic. It's something that mm -hmm. if not handled correctly, can be detrimental in many different ways, right? Was there any type of, you know, like, a specific organization or or specific people that that went through this from a feedback perspective to kind of 
keep it to, uh, you know, to get it right, if you will? Um, not necessarily. Um, at the time, I was visiting a therapist, and the, uh, my partner at the time that the game was being developed was also visiting a therapist. So I was kind of using those sessions that I was visiting as sort of the, the template for this. Gotcha. Um, I was using, it was a lot of personal experience. I really wanted to try and, and that was what, sort of one of the other things too, where um, the game is not necessarily meant to be entirely educational in the sense that it's telling you, this is how you would conduct therapy. It's more right. pointing out to you, like these are sort of the, the circumstances that you will find yourself in and sort of looking at based off of these circumstances, what does that kind of, what are the outcomes that you can really expect from that in mm -hmm. terms of trying to make a therapy session that's productive? So that yeah. was kind of more what I was looking at rather than um, trying to look at extreme specifics. And I also didn't really want to go into extreme specifics just because I didn't really feel like that was appropriate given the nature of the character because the the character you're analyzing throughout all of this is an AI. So when right. you look at psychology in terms of like very specific, like trying to diagnose like exact behaviors, mm -hmm. if it was like a one-to-one mix and it would kind of defeat sort of the, the psychological not the psychological sorry the philosophical question of is this ai a sentient being who has certain rights that a traditional patient would have so that sort of grayness um in sort of trying to figure out exactly what the condition was is why i tried to look more for analogs rather than one-to-one -one comparisons if that makes sense yeah yeah it does um i i want to put a pin in that for now though because i wanted to ask one thing specific before we dive too much farther into the game itself um one of the things i noticed while looking through the team's list of games that have been worked on um in the past right so you have three mm -hmm. different games and syntherapy the the things from from the initial two uh, this is a much different game um okay. What was what was kind of your your uh, reasoning for departing to something so different, both in like a genre perspective and also uh, a walk away from what seeming to be uh, originally was a zombie theme with the team? Yeah, the first game was um, I, I at the time. This is oh, good lord, this is going back so long in terms of projects. <laughs> uh, at the time, the project was. Uh, that project was sort of more of like I was very interested in World War Z, the the book back right. then. Yeah, um, which was way more contemporary way back then. Um, <laughs> and I liked the idea of a game that had like all these different characters that you could see all of these different sort of um, stories from different perspectives from to kind of not have you be stuck from the perspective of one character, but kind of explore like this broader set of situations. Um, but anyways, just sort of stepping away from that, uh, I guess the departure was really just from the fact that this was, I started work on this probably around the time when I was having a lot of significant mental health issues and it was a lot of catharsis. It was mm. a lot of, I wasn't in a point, uh, I wasn't really at a place or in a position where it was easy to get a hold of therapy. Uh, when I finally was able to get into a psychiatrist the wait time was like six months wow. um and i wasn't really feeling of getting a lot of pr productivity out of it so i started creating this project as sort of as catharsis as trying to externalize 
what I was trying to grapple with in a way where it was just sort of a conversation between two people bouncing ideas off of each other. And then it sort of developed off of that. Um, so it was always sort of meant to be sort of like this personal project of mine that I was gradually working along. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the pandemic sort of is what kickstarted it into being uh, a project that could probably be something a little bit bigger than right. just sort of this homebrew thing and make it more of like an actual visual novel game that could stand toe to toe with other commercial releases. So that was kind of what kicked it off was just trying to wrap my head around certain things, which is kind of where a lot of the games that I kind of work on on my own are sort of set to do is I look at something like a certain idea or a concept and I try to wrap my brain around it. And that's <laughs> sort of where the story comes from is trying to to understand this, this sort of thing and to kind of let it lead itself through to its natural conclusion and then kind of see, okay, what can I work with based off of this? Right, right. That makes sense. Okay, so so let's dive into the actual game itself, right? Mm -hmm. Because for those who don't know anything about the game, I, I want to hear kind of like your elevator pitch, right? How would you describe Synthérapy to someone and what makes it special? All right, so Synthérapy puts you in the position of being a therapist who needs to diagnose and treat an experimental artificial intelligence. That's the original thrust of the story and that is the entire game. You are approached by a research student from a university who has been developing a experimental therapy AI. It would serve as sort of a companion to people during their art therapy sessions. But what's happened is that the AI is not only demonstrating potential self-awareness, but it is also demonstrating possible signs of a mental illness that need to be diagnosed and treated because these problems are resulting in, in without getting into spoilers, basically not good behavior. It's resulting mm -hmm. in behavior that is impacting the machine's ability to function, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. generating a lot of ethics questions from the end of the university because if you're experimenting with a sentient thing, you know, a sentient being, that raises a lot of ethical concerns that could be a big problem for the university's research department. So right. their concern is that the project has to be shut down. So you're navigating all of these issues. You're navigating the issues of trying to diagnose what is going on with this AI. You then have to treat it. You have to try and navigate sort of the ethical dilemma that's associated with well, if it does turn out to be sentient, is there a responsible way that this research can be continued? Should it not be allowed at the university at all? And as you explore all of these questions, you then also start to learn a little bit more about these other characters and why they are so invested in the positions that they have. You start to learn a little bit more about why creating this uh, therapy assistant AI is so important to the research student who contacts you. And you also learn a little bit more about why the reputation of the university is so important to the president of the university who is potentially going to say that the project can't be allowed to continue. So you're right. learning a lot more about all of these different people and you're sort of navigating all of their, their loyalties and you're also trying to come up with a treatment plan that will effectively work for this AI patient of yours. So it's a mm -hmm. lot of balancing of conflicts. It's a lot of balancing of different therapies and trying to sort of find the tactic that works for you 
And that yeah. last part of finding something that works for you is extremely important because the game does not have one set ending. It has 37 different mm. possible outcomes. And all of these are based around exp oh, you know, what therapies you use, what final outcome you decide to do for the AI, and what character loyalties you have at the end. So I really didn't want this game to have oh, you did everything right, here's the good ending. Oh, you didn't do everything correctly, here's the bad ending. I wanted to create endings that were logically and thematically sound based off of the choices you were making and based off of the outcomes that you decided were the best for the patient. So that was sort right. of the, the goal of the game was to give the player sort of a dilemma and then they work through it sort of figuring out like the, what the different choices are, figuring out what the different outcomes could possibly be based off of those choices, and then coming to the end and receiving sort of something that would reflect like what those choices sort of mean in terms of the characters and also in terms of sort of the themes that are being explored in as a whole, such as, for example, what does it mean to be broken, right? What does it mean to not be functional? And, and those types of questions. So that's mm -hmm. sort of the thrust of the game, is you come in with this problem, you solve it, and then as you get to the end, the ending sort of reflects on what it means that that was the solution that you chose. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty pretty big idea as far as all of these different opportunities, all these different options. I, I love the versatility that comes with this game. Now, I wanted to start off with really just, you know, the main idea behind this game, because it's a clever twist on analysis. You know, you're, you're looking at mental health with an, an entity that you normally would never consider mental health for, right? Tell me, right. how did you, you know, you mentioned that this was a cathartic experience to, to cope with your own personal concerns or issues at a time, but where did the idea of this, this essential robot come into the mix, right? How did that play into that uh, entire feelings that you had and writing the story as of it? I think the major cathartic element was just the idea that all of the sort of therapeutic stuff that I was going through at the time, especially going into the uh, psychiatrist, was a lot of checkpoints. It was a very impersonal at the start. And even therapy where you have a therapist one-on-one -on -one is also reduced a lot to checkpoints. In many ways, it almost seems like troubleshooting. You know, you go down the list of things, you ask all of these different questions to try and narrow something down to something that maybe possibly could work. Mm -hmm. Because part of what I was realizing, and I was realizing this more and more, the way that we look at people, the way we look at mental health is not all that different from how we would look at a program that is malfunctioning. Because we have, because computers, I always had this, uh, this saying that my dad would say to me, and he said, computers are interesting in the fact that they only do what you tell them to do. But just because you're telling them to do something doesn't mean they're going to do what you want them to do. Right. And looking at it that way, you know, when somebody isn't necessarily sort of not functioning properly in terms of living up to societal standards, that's such an arbitrary statement to make uh, regarding somebody's health, right? Mm. And But we look at machines and programs the same way. Like how many times has 
a program, you know, runs something incorrectly and we said, oh, it's broken. It's like, it's not broken. It's just doing something that it was told to do, but that didn't line up with our expectations. So there's a lot of similarities I noticed in the way that we refer and discuss the mental health of people and the functionality of machines. We look at people's functionality in terms of how can they integrate into society? How can they maintain the relationships they need to maintain? How can they handle the jobs and other responsibilities that are expected of them? And we look at that as sort of the benchmark of functionality when mm -hmm. that really, or I mean, that's one of the discussions of the game. I don't really necessarily want to color people's perception of the game. I want everyone to go in and kind of have the reaction they want to have to those questions. But right, I do think that is a thing that should be questioned as we start to take more of a look at mental health as, you know, what does it mean to be functional? Are we only going to look at it in terms of methods of productivity? Are we going to look at it as sort of a, an overall happiness metric? Like what's most important? So it kind of goes all the way down to like the bedrock of what is good for civilization, basically. When you ultimately break it down, that's kind of what it gets to. Mm. And when you are looking at the, the functionality of a program, it's not all that different in a lot of ways. You know, you can create a program that, you know, that runs and it crashes and the program isn't broken. It is just not doing what you expected it to do. So it's that similarity, that realization that the way programs are discussed, the way we talk about machines working is not entirely different from the way that a lot of people discuss mental health. And there's probably a huge discussion that needs to be had about whether or not that is the best thing to be doing in terms of if we are going to be a society that values mental health, should we continue looking at it in this way? Right. Yeah. I. It, it's interesting because it makes me think, and this is, you know, we can not go into a heavy discussion on this this topic because I think it's something not really related towards the game, but but kind of is is more or less your your purpose behind it. And what I mean by that is, you know, when people play this game, right, uh, a lot of people will have maybe a game where they're just like, I want it to be fun. And that's my takeaway that I want people to have at the end of it. But like, it seems like especially with the way that you're talking about it, and especially with the what seemingly is is, you know, a lot of passion that comes from your explanation of this. Is there a main takeaway that you want people to experience from this game, whether it be a, a difference in insight or, you know, some type of, of change, perhaps? I think a difference in insight is really the main thing that I'm looking for, because I feel like it would be sort of irresponsible if I had one set, this is the one lesson you're supposed to take away from it. Mm -hmm. uh, given that, you know, I don't have a mental health background, so it's entirely possible right, right. that maybe some of the stuff I'm coming at here is completely wrong. And people might look at it and say, no, there's a reason why we have this sort of focus the way we do. I think probably the best takeaways to kind of come away from this are that um, mental health doesn't exist in a vacuum for any one person. I think one of the more interesting story-related bits is that as you sort of learn a little bit more about the other characters and you realize the struggles they're going through and how that's mm -hmm. influencing the situation that you are in right now, there's sort of this understanding that 
mental health is not a dynamic of, oh, here's the person who's functional versus here's the person who's not. It's a whole variety of different things, right? There's yeah. people who could be outwardly functional, but perhaps are locked into a certain thought pattern that is actually extremely unproductive in terms of ensuring their own personal happiness or contentment or whatever term you really want to use for it. And there might be other people who, you know, they might not be, they might be admitting that they have issues. They might ha be admitting that there are things about themselves that they would like to fix, but they are being honest about that. And so that actually in many ways is much more healthy because it's an outward acknowledgement of these problems and moving forward to face it. So I think that would, if there's one like set takeaway I would have, it's, it would be that. But I do think that, um, generally uh in terms of people who are coming into this expecting you know and and i don't want to demean that because there's a lot of value in games where the mental health is explored in more of like a self-care sort of way where it's like you go into an environment that's a lot more relaxing and you can sort of interact with it at your own leisure that mm -hmm. sort of thing um there's absolute value in that and i don't want to demean that in any way but this isn't that. This really is just putting you in a situation and having you sort of piece together the understandings that you want to take away as you're moving through it. But there are a couple set things that I do think kind of stand out. And one of them would definitely be that the understanding or the belief, I guess, that mental health presents itself as there are people who need help and are patients versus there are people who are functional and are not seeking therapy. That's not a good way of approaching it. There's much different ways of approaching things. And mm -hmm. in many ways, being upfront about where you are in the process actually has you come off as a much more healthier, well-adjusted individual than people who are outwardly functional but are in denial about sort of the impact that their mental health is having on themselves and others. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting negative connotation that gets associated with people who go to therapy, even though there really shouldn't be one. And I think that's kind of what you're trying to, to hit on is that like, th just because you go to these sessions doesn't mean that you're quote, unquote, you know, broken as, as you would use for a mechanical term, right? It means Absolutely, that you are yeah. self-aware of issues or just general interests of self uh betterment which is a totally different conversation versus being broken and needing to be fixed absolutely yeah and i do think also um because parks uh dr park who is the main character the character that you're playing as she's been dealing with mental health in a variety of different ways throughout her life not just as a profession but also in terms of her own personal struggles with it, which you get to learn a little bit more about as the game progresses. So I think it mm. also kind, kind of shows something important, which is that there is no... Because I feel like a lot of people, they're intimidated to talk about their, their own personal issues to a therapist because they're feeling like they're being judged by somebody who is inherently superior to them in some way. Mm. And that's really not the case at all. There's, you know, the therapist is there because they're qualified to provide advice and assistance and help in, and they've been certified to make sure that they understand how to do the process effectively in a way that is safe for you. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're perfect people either. You know, right. it doesn't mean that they are 
judging every single thing that you're doing because they've struggled just like everybody else has. And I feel like that's also something that's really important for people to take away is that you don't need to be scared of your therapist. You don't need to think that your therapist is judging you. You don't need to think that your therapist is somebody who has everything perfectly figured out because no one does. Everyone's <laughs> sort of going through their own process to try and make the most of the life they've been given, the situation they've been given, and all of these other things. Right. So I think that was sort of another big sort of moment, a big sort of key moment that I didn't want to really be influenced by player choice, this sort of discovery of the character you're playing and the other characters and realizing that the, the initial way that you look at them versus how they actually are says quite a bit about how we need to be looking at mental health as a whole because people may not assume that somebody would have these certain struggles just based off of a situation that you're presenting but they absolutely are dealing with their own things you know right. you know behind the scenes and other things like that it's important to recognize that yeah I 100% agree. So let's talk a little bit about mechanics, though, because um, since this is such a narrative-driven game, you'll be making dialogue choices mainly throughout to progress the story. But you also have that loyalty management system that um, you you mentioned of you know how the the people interact with you, and that kind of plays into that ending you're going to get. It, it plays into the the story of what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. um, can you elaborate a little bit more about how those? choices that you're making or how those loyalties between the different characters really affects gameplay? So the loyalties are determined based off of certain choices you make. So for example, the character who is sort of the head of the university is going to be interested in you as a therapist pursuing questions that would sort of answer or provide information about mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. sentience of the AI, and that's sort of their investment in how your sessions are being coordinated. The person who created the AI is going to be more interested in questions that relate to making sure that the AI is able to continue functioning properly or is able to feel more at ease, feel less nervous, that sort of thing. Right. So, these questions are not marked like you're not going to see oh this question is going to raise or lower your loyalty with a person but based off of your understanding of who these characters are and expectations that they've laid out for you in emails that you receive from them and stuff like that when you pick a certain choice you can either you'll raise your uh, loyalty with, uh, with somebody uh, potentially and there's also the matter of uh, professionalism because you know, you have to make sure that you're keeping enough of your sessions on topic like you would for an ordinary patient. So you're also having to deal with managing your professional expectations because you're not just here as a, you know, you're here as a consultation, but you are treating it like an actual therapy session. So it's important to make sure that you act accordingly. So mm -hmm. all these different people have all these different expectations and mm -hmm. balancing the loyalties becomes much more important as new additional therapy methods are introduced. So for example, a character might be able to come up with something that almost acts like medication. Like it would interact with the code of the AI in such a way that it would almost seem to be acting like medication. Hmm. But in order to get that, you would need to make sure that the person trusts you enough to use it because they could be working on this thing, but if they don't trust you the way you're handling the sessions, they would say to themselves, 
why would I give this to you? I don't think you're going to use it properly. I don't think this is a good idea. Right. The same thing with a couple other uh, different therapy tools and other things like that. So the, the loyalty management is important in terms of gaining access to these additional tools that you can use, which aren't going to necessarily guarantee a better ending, but they give you a little bit more flexibility than mm. you would have otherwise. So that's why the loyalty system is sort of so important. It's not to strictly max out one character or the other. It's to keep on good terms or try to keep on good terms with as many people as possible in order to make sure that you have access to as many different uh, tools that, that you could use, especially as you may decide, you know, halfway through the game, oh, maybe this particular therapy tool isn't quite having the effect I would want. I would like to switch over to something else. Well, if you've only been putting all of your loyalty points into one character or only answering questions for one person, all of a sudden you're going to need the help of that other character and you're mm-hmm. kind of uh, you're kind of in trouble. So right. you kind of figure things out that way. So, yeah. And that's sort of the point of it. It's to, to gain the help of people so that they will be able to give you the tools that you need uh, in order to gain uh, a particular outcome with your therapy as you're working through the story. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then I, another piece from like a, a mechanical standpoint, I, I saw that there was something known as collectibles in the game. What are these collectibles exactly? How do they work? Oh, those are more just for fun. Uh, just okay. to give you... Um, I mean, some of them do give you like a couple bonus points uh, for a particular character uh, loyalty, but generally it's more just there's like a, a fun little thing that I thought would be sort of interesting. Gotcha. Encourage people I... to kind of pay a little bit closer attention to some of the, the Easter eggs and the art that we put into the game and stuff like that. That was kind of the main the Gotcha. Main and is this more of like a, a find something hidden in the world and it becomes that collectible? Because I'm just interested in this being that it's mostly narrative driven of having something like, you know, uh, these these pieces to find, right? Right. It's, it's a mixture. The, one of them, it's a, a very small sort of butterfly object that you have to look very carefully for. And other times it's it gives you like a little hint or a riddle and um, mm. you have to click on the part of the background that corresponds to that and it would unlock like a piece of concept art or something like that gotcha it's little things uh you know it's one of those things where as you work on a game project there's certain points where you kind of need to sort of change things up a bit throw in some things that you think would be just sort of fun just sort of little things and that would add like a little bit of extra enjoyment to it not even necessarily for the sake of of anybody else but just because you know game development is kind of really focusing on a lot of very specific things for very long hours of time and sometimes Mm -hmm. those things just are not working the way they're supposed to so in order to prevent frustration you just put your effort somewhere else for a little bit and then you come back to the thing that you were working on originally when you know when you're ready to take another swing at it and Mm -hmm. that's helped me out of a couple jams the project there would be a couple things where i really couldn't understand why something wasn't working properly i worked on a little fun side feature on it for like a day and then i come back to the for the big thing that i was trying to get done and then it started working properly i don't Mm -hmm. know why but it just (laughs) happened that's the way it works sometimes 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. In those situations, you got lucky. But I think I think that does make sense. Sometimes it is better to just take a step back because you you get so drilled in to either one solution or one reasoning behind this is, you know, the way to do it this is the way to fix it. This is why it's broken, that you get so ingrained in that and like very, you know, tunnel vision that you can't take a more holistic approach, uh, a look at, you know, kind of the overall picture of what's going on. And until you take that step back, you're never going to be able to fully like reset. So Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an interesting way to do it. And I, I never really thought about that from a development standpoint, but I think it does, you know, it's, it's nice just because it's also like an extra little thing in the game mm -hmm. just to be cautious of, but also for you to just not go crazy while trying to, to fix certain bugs. Well, for a lot of development, it's not necessarily a very practical way of doing things. Uh, you can't necessarily, you know, if your job in a part, as part of a bigger studio is to, you know, make sure that a character's animations are working properly or that a certain menu is popping up the way it's supposed to. It's unless you work at Valve, in which case you can just move your chair over to another desk and work on something different. But for the vast majority of studios, that's not really the case. You kind of, right. you know, you're brought in to do a task and you have to do that task. So, but you know, this was always a hobby project for so long. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it I looked at and hopefully I can, I can only hope that I can always look at game projects I work on the same way I worked on this one, which is that if I'm not having fun working on this thing right now, then what am I doing? Right. If I'm not having fun working on this thing right now, what could I be doing instead? And usually the answer to that was just, well, let me go work on something else in this game that could be a little fun thing to do and then it's done. And right. that way it's there. It doesn't need to be, you know, the main focus of it by any stretch, but it is there for, for whoever appreciates it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about the fact that you have 37 different endings because one, that's incredibly intense. Uh, two, yes. <laughs> two, I had a question that you already answered, which is, you know, is there a right way to play this? Is there a right way to to select all of the the good you know uh therapies and and conversation points which it seemingly is not the case and i'm glad because that wouldn't make sense in in a form of you know therapy in general um, i will say uh not to interrupt but i will say that there no, is go. one ending that i do consider to be the most thematically resonant with the material of the story and okay. i actually put in a little steve achievement um that kind of marks which one that is very cool. Um, but I would not necessarily say that it's like a canon ending or anything like that. I wouldn't say that it's any more, you know, valid than the others. But I think given everything else that's presented in terms of the themes and the struggles of all the different characters and everything else, there is one ending in particular that I do think sort of stands apart from the rest as if there was like, you know, like if for some reason somebody ever walked up to me and said, hey, I'm interested in buying like, you know, the movie rights or the show rights or whatever to this project. How would you want the story for it to go if we were to ad adapt it to a more traditional narrative style? Mm -hmm. This would be the one that I would pick because I feel right. like this is the one that really kind of puts everything home. Um, and I'm not going to spoil which one it is. <sighs> I don't really want to get into which one it is. But That's yeah, fine. there is one that I do think is much more... Uh, that does sort of convey everything the most effectively and would have people sort of coming away from the story with the best uh, 
the best way to kind of approach these different issues and to think yeah. about the themes presented. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, and my next part about this is really the fact that you have 37 is, as I already mentioned, intense. And it's one of those things where I'm assuming you still want some form of, I want to do this over, right? I want to see what would happen if I chose a different therapy or some form of replayability. I think that that can get, uh, I won't, like lack of a better term, a, a burden to to try and go through the entire thing every time and pick like one different thing. Is, is there a form of, you know, going back, whether that be in, in via chapter or via like, hey, here would have been the different ending if you had chosen XYZ? What, what do the players have as far as options for that? So we do have a chapter select uh, feature, which will allow you to replay any previously played uh, chapters that mm -hmm. you unlocked in the first playthrough. But the difficult thing when we're approaching it from a, from a design perspective is that the ending is not just that one choice. It's a culmination of a lot of different choices that you've made throughout the game. So right. how do you summarize that entire process? So there's probably um, a way where people could optimize, like if you start at this particular part, that's like the earliest end that you can still have access to mm -hmm. reasonably getting all of these endings without having to replay the entire thing. Because I do right. understand that, you know, there, there are a lot of different areas that players can, you know, different conversations people can have in like the therapy sessions that they wouldn't have otherwise and stuff like that. There's a lot of different stuff that would allow for some replay value, but I think the novelty of going through all of the different paths that weren't open previously would probably disappear by run three or four. And yeah, there yeah, would be yeah, yeah. 32 or so left after that. So I can understand the concern there. And we do have, um, sort of some ways to, you know, with the chapter select, um, we also have a, a method in the actual dialogue menu itself, like the actual text menu. Mm -hmm. um, if you make a choice that you've already made, you can click a fast forward button, which will skip you all the way past all the dialogue until you get to the next actual choice. Uh. So there is a way that you could also just, you know, keep track of like the key decisions that you want to make differently then right. go back to the beginning and just sort of click fast forward until you get to a choice that's different. And then gotcha. you could read through it that way. So we do have, you know, it was a balance because on one hand, I do understand the people who just want to see what all the different endings are and that's completely fine. But there really was no way to separate that from the fact that all of those different endings don't stand by themselves. They stand in the context of a lot of different decisions you made throughout the game. So. Right. You, there was a there was a lot of conflict on, on our end in trying to figure out what the best balance was. And I think with the chapter select and with the uh, ability to fast forward and skip to the next actual uh, choice in the game, I think that's probably the best balance that we could achieve based off of everything that we had. Yeah, makes sense. So the game is currently out on uh, Steam, but what's next for the team, right? What What's the next thing? And you kind of mentioned it a little bit about, about being unsure about, you know, whether you're going more for that edutainment side, whether you want to keep that that pursuit of, of working on games. But, you know, are you planning on, uh, first off, for, for the sake of this game, porting to any additional, like, to consoles? 
Do you plan on creating a follow-up story, which I, I can only imagine would be extremely difficult given the amount of endings, but, or is it something <laughs> just completely different? Impossible. We do have, I mean, right now we're still trying to really explore as much as we can with the sort of the premise that we currently have, because Sin Therapy could have gone a large variety of directions. And I still think that in terms of strict gameplay, there's a lot of different sort of additional features, additional uh, modes that could be included that right. would be interesting. So one that we're currently working on right now is more, and this is one that we actually are reaching out to mental health professionals because this one actually is much more in terms of putting you in the position of being a therapist. You're given an auto-generated patient and then no. you need to kind of plan the steps through of how you would react to that sort of situation and how you would interact with it. So this one kind of oh, is... that's interesting. Like a yeah, rogue-like therapy simulator? Basically, that is sort of what we're thinking of adding on to it. So this would be an additional mode that we would add on to it. So that's sort of... That's something that's currently still in development. It's in a very uh, rough prototype phase right now. It's not mm -hmm. quite where I would want it in terms of just... Well, we might put out like... Uh, a very rough version and then just add a lot on more to it based off of the feedback we're receiving. Right, um, right. Because, you know, there's one thing that we could, we can get a whole bunch of stuff from like a therapy professional, but getting suggestions from, you know, from players who might be interested in seeing personal issues that are relevant to them explored in the therapy context. Because, you know, there's the academic sense of, you know, somebody who is, experiencing clinical depression might go to a therapist but there's also the sense of somebody who might be dealing with harassment online or something might go to a yeah. therapist yeah. or all you know all variety of different things there's, a, there's so many different reasons somebody might go to a therapist so incorporating that would probably be the next step but My. that's kind of where we're looking at taking the game right now for mm -hmm. the for the foreseeable future is exploring more of the concept of interactive therapy and not just in the terms of the story with the ai characters but also in these other little game gameplay modes that are uh not necessarily linked to the main story but are additional things that you can do on top of everything else sort right. of like an additional game mode i guess you could say okay that's sort yeah. of what we're looking at right now but there are additional um story plans like uh not just the first story uh, we would probably do would be more of a prequel, which would be sort of a prequel story DLC, kind of looking at the circumstances that led to Willow's creation in the first place. Because yeah. as you after you finish the story and you um, sort of learn what happened to the AI's creator that sort of inspired them to do it, I thought that would be sort of an interesting little side story to, uh, to explore, uh, just as a, a little additional aside. And then... I do have ideas for things we could do sequel-wise. Hmm. They're kind of looking at the issue from a completely different vantage point, but there are things that I have in mind, and they would make all of the different endings uh, tie into it. Like, each one would carry off from where yeah. the from where this game ended. It would do that. And <laughs> it's it's difficult but not impossible and something that i would be extremely interested to get into because it's looking at it from a completely different angle than than the one that yeah. we even presented here and i would be very interested in being able to pursue that but right now we're 
kind of keeping things a little small, sort of building up <laughs> the, our community and stuff like that until we can get to a point where we can announce something on a scale like that and have the interest where it would then justify going in and doing the next you know, year or two of development or however long it would take in order to make it. So that's kind of where right. we are right now. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's a pretty challenging task and I, I can oh, see yes. that... <laughs> It would it would definitely be something that I'd be interested in hearing about and seeing. But that being said, um, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I want to ask one last question, which is what I ask of all of our guests. And it is really just about advice for those who are in the indie space, those who want to get in the indie space. And it's really just, you know, for anyone who might be interested in starting their own project, uh, you know, what tips would you give someone from what you've learned along the way, right? I'm, I'm sure you've learned uh, a couple of things. What would you give maybe like your past self as far as from what you've learned up until this point? Indie kind of requires you to wear a lot of hats, but there is something very enjoyable about collaboration. Mm -hmm. There is something about seeing what other people bring to a project that I didn't really have a lot of in for some therapy. Um, there's other projects that I'm currently contracting out uh, doing work for that are much bigger collaboration projects like AAA projects. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm doing work with those and seeing the work that other people are able to do for that is always a source of inspiration with the writing that I'm doing for it. So indie uh has a lot of potential for collaboration because everyone has a skill that they can bring but they may not necessarily have all of the other skills that they need and you know there is something to be said about being able to handle all of the different steps like proficiently enough that you could make something but i do think probably the best thing you can do is try and find collaborative partners because it's going to do things to the way that you are approaching your work that are very beneficial. It's going to make you look at it, not just in terms of something that has to fit the vision you have, but the vision somebody else has. And maybe this is different. Um, other people might feel differently, but for me, I actually find it more liberating when I'm trying to create something that works based off of suggestions somebody else has, mm. because even if it's not necessarily like my thing and I can put the stamp on it all the way, it makes me think outside the box. It makes me um, avoid pitfalls that I might have because I'm so stuck in doing things a certain way that I start looking at, you know, when, you know, when you're a hammer, everything is a nail, that sort of thing. <laughs> right, so it right. avoids that type of thinking and it gets you into a mindset of trying to include as much of those differences as possible in order to create something that is a lot more flexible and is a lot more likely to appeal to, to different people. Because that is probably the one thing I would say was um, a little bit, like if I had to change one thing about some therapy, it would probably just be to try and go back and try and have it be, because it, it does need to be like very academically discussion focused. It does need to really get into those issues um, and sort of handle them in ways that really dive into the, the themes because that's what I thought was interesting. But right. I do really wish that there was more time to also go back and add in more stuff with the characters 
that was one thing that I actually, this is kind of going on a little bit of a tangent. I apologize, but as a quick no, that's fine. anecdote, um, a case where a budget limitation actually improved writing because I had a budget for voice acting. So there was only so much writing that I could include because there was only so much realistically that I could expect to have voice acted yep. based off of the budget that we had. So that required going back and trimming out a lot of dialogue, a lot of sections from the game that I thought um, were not contributing what they were supposed to, stuff that um, would sound repetitive if you read it out loud but was fine from like just reading it in a book, that sort of thing. And what it ended up doing was it actually gave me a whole big chunk of space that I could actually go back and write a whole new section for. So I hmm. did, and I went back and I actually made a much more character-focused interactive section, and that was probably the most fun I had writing for the game because hmm. it's the characters more interacting with each other and um, really getting to understand, like, what's motivating like dr park in particular like what's um it's talking it's her talking more about herself uh, in a session with willow after uh, after a key part of the story right. and that really it made me feel a lot better about um about the story as a whole now that all of this sort of stuff was in there and you were able to have that insight into the character but i just keep thinking that if i maybe had somebody else who I was collaborating on the story with a little bit more, and they had looked at it and said, hey, maybe put in more character stuff. You know, like a co-writer who could have done that, then maybe the story would have turned out not necessarily like better or worse, but it would have probably been something that I would have, that would have been its whole new thing. And it would have been mm -hmm. probably way more interesting to some people as a result. I'm not sure, but that's the type of thinking that I have now, now that I'm doing a lot more of my game work as part of a collaborative process is that I get that insight from people or I understand the framework that others are setting. I understand, oh, okay, there's only this many sort of cinematic sequences we can do. I need to tailor the writing based off of that, so on and so forth. So, you know, it's good to be able to go into something without restrictions. That's sort of the fun of indie development, but there is also something to be said about having not necessarily hard restrictions, but having other people's expectations to work around that can create something that is a little bit more interesting and not something yeah. that you would expect. Right. I think that makes total sense. Uh, so let's wrap this up. For those listening, Synthetherapy is currently available on PC, Mac, and Linux. So if any of this sounded interesting, Go over to their Steam page, check it out. And, you know, once again, thank you just so much for joining today. No, no problem. I was glad to be here.